Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the final weekend of televised racing of this cyclocross season, the exact cross in Sydney class and the final round of the X2O trophy in Brussels. With me here to discuss the racing fresh from a trip to Morocco is Issam. Thank you for being here again, Issam. Yes, indeed. Fresh, landed safely and uh, back here in the Netherlands. Thank you for having me. Any chance you were gathering some intel on Fem van Empel in Morocco or not the case? <laughs> we crossed... Uh, our she, I think she arrived already when I um, when I still didn't uh, go to Morocco, so unfortunately no. But uh, yeah, it was a nice time there, so I enjoyed the weather a little bit better than here in the Netherlands, but uh, overall it was an okay trip. Let's get into the racing then. Brussels was the final round of the X2O trophy and was the most important race of the weekend. Although there was really not all too much on the line anymore as Isabit had two minutes on Lars van der Haar. Van der Haar however did have the fastest start but Isabit was quickly to move into the wheel and we went to a situation with three leaders as the European and Belgian champion Michael van Turenhout was also at the front of the race. However it was pretty clear that Ele Isabit was simply the strongest after he took it relatively easy the day before in Sydney class he placed a couple of attacks. Van der Haar did what he could to respond but ultimately the barriers were an issue for him. He was running them whilst Isabit was jumping them. He lost time there every lap. And with Van Turenhout using some team tactics from time to time as well, Isabit eventually opened a significant gap. When he was in the lead, however, in the section which looked a bit like an arena, maybe even a bit of a downhill pump track in there, he crashed. But that didn't even seem to affect him all too much. He still had a gap of 7 seconds and was able to extend that again. So he took the victory. Behind, Michael van Turenhout dropped Lars van der Haar in the final stages of the race and ended second with van der Haar ending third. So easy beat with the win, Issam. I think it was pretty clear that at this point on the season, like so far in it, so much tiredness kicking in, it was impossible to be good two days this weekend. We saw Van Turenhout and Isabit take it easy on Saturday and then doing better on Sunday, where the opposite went for Van der Haar and Zweig, both riders who were very strong on Saturday, but suffered more and struggled more on the Sunday. Isabit clearly the best and the freshest at this point of the season. Yeah, indeed. I think it helped the, the way they were riding on the Saturday. And then, you know, when they went to, to Brussels, they clearly had um, their 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 eyes on, on, on the XTO trophy, at least to finish it in, in fashion, in a very strong uh, way. I think Iserbeet summarized it quite well in the, uh, the post-race interview that, you know, he had a very good day, he felt it. And on a course like this on Brus- in Brussels, it's in a way, I wouldn't say relatively easy, but when you have a gap and you just don't make the mistakes you can really put the others behind you on the pressure and it's quite i wouldn't say easy but you it is doable to keep a gap and i think Iserbit played that uh, played that well was in a very good form and as you said it's at this time of the season at the end of it it's so difficult to do the same thing that you were able to do at the beginning of the season where you were able to perform quite well in, in, in both races of the weekend and even then some riders struggle a little bit with such an effort but 
now it's obviously with um, you know it's also motivation and uh, some some when they had a very good performance on on the Saturday they entered and the, the the race in Brussels and then already it's very difficult uh, to really motivate yourself and, and get the, be- the most out of it. Yeah, definitely. It's something we said last week as well. It's a very weird phase of the season. You don't know who has what intentions because if you look at a rider like Swake, he took the win in an interesting race in Sydney class, but. He already said in the post-race interview, my weekend is already a success and for now I'm just going to see what tomorrow brings. But he already indicated that he wasn't too bothered about that race and he never got into that race, ended 15th. I think he just came to collect his start money and remaining prize money for the series. But he clearly wasn't bothered, else he wouldn't be ending 15th. He was never at the front of that race and... If you would try and have bad legs, you would fade back a bit. And that didn't happen. Whilst at the front of the race, you could see that Van der Haar did have the motivation. He kept trying. But the barriers were his fatal flaw on the course. Because that's where the misery started for him every lap. And then the other misery was Van Turenaert pulling team tactics. And more misery was the section which... As said earlier, it looked like an arena, a bit of the downhill pump track, although it's not meant to be a pump track. I don't think it qualifies as one, but the bumpy downhill and uphill around the campus where students normally sit to eat their lunch. The final corner there where Easybeat crashed in the race, that was normally a strong point for Easybeat where Van der Haar suffered. So despite being stronger on some other sections and really going for it, Ultimately, Isabit was just the best, and once Van der Haar overworked, Van Turenhout needed to finish him off, and that's what Van Turenhout did in the final part of the race. But yeah, I don't think Van der Haar is too bothered about that either. Like, again, what's on the line for him? He secured a second place in the classification, he went for it, and in the end, it is what it is for him. He, he's third, Van Turenhout second, wasn't really all too interesting and I think all riders on the podium will be satisfied because again that's just the phase of the season you are in it's not a matter of oh I need to get wins or secure classifications it's just I get a good result I'm happy I get a bad result I'm not too bothered about it anymore yeah absolutely I think you know the (laughs) it's it's the the irritation is uh, building up a little bit I think some of the riders are very happy to not see each other again but Again, in at this phase, it's 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 very difficult to ask from your from your body the same that you that you were able to demand from your body mid season or at the start of it, and you only really realize how how these riders think when you actually are in in that same situation. Every weekend you have the racing, and every week you have to week in week out you have to focus and make sure that you're preparing yourself and. Yeah, then you come into the last couple of, of of races. The in a way everything is a bit played, like you said. For Van der Haar, there was still a little bit at stake, but even that was, you know, um, it was going to be difficult. And yeah, then you know, for him, I think he can look on a, on a very solid season with some struggles in between. But overall, it was quite good. And his racing also this weekend was 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 also very good in both races. He he performed well. He was uh, able to to you know really g- give on a fight. I would have loved to see him win uh, one of these races. But I think overall, he um, you know he made had a very solid effort this weekend. 
Yeah, there were definitely some riders that could take positives from this racing in Brussels. If we look at the entire top 10, Isabiet ahead of Van Toerenhout, Van der Haar, Adams, Nieuwenhuis, Kuhn, Kamp, Van der Bos, Van der Putten and Lokes. I think in particular Adams, Nieuwenhuis and Kuhn will be satisfied with the racing in Brussels. Adams we know had some issues about his sponsors but... Luckily, because we record on Monday for once and not on the Sunday, we now know that Jens Adams has found a new team. He's going to be joining Athletes for Hope. This is the very old team of Shirin van Andro. You might remember she was racing in a jersey with the yellow Chocomelk logo on it that has rebranded to Athletes for Life. It supports children with disabilities, tries to generate funds for medical examinations and research towards those things so a very noble initiative and he will be joining them they have a bmx and triathlon team as well and he will be representing them in cyclocross new house also with a pretty strong showing and then kun also with a good showing but i think for kun it could have been even better this weekend because this allows me to make the bridge to the racing in sydney class on saturday it was Kevin Kuhn's birthday there and he was riding an extremely good race in the first part of the race. He was up there in the front group of five riders but unfortunately he had a puncture which caused him to ride almost half of a lap on the flat tire. Lost a lot of time, managed to come back but ultimately paid the toll for the efforts of that. But that was a real shame because he was looking very good to at least secure a top four and maybe even a podium because Isabit wasn't all too bothered in that final lap. He let Zweig and Van der Haar go. Kuhn maybe a bit too active to actually challenge for that podium, but nevertheless, he was super strong there in Sydney class. Yeah, absolutely. I think he wanted to uh, give himself a present with a, with a podium. He looked definitely very good. And that's the thing as well with the end of the season. It's for some riders that can actually, you know, be something where they where they think that they have a chance or they sense that they have something um, to play for you have nothing to lose obviously and uh, Kung obviously with his with the birthday probably wanted to try something and it looked very good up until that puncture and then um, yeah it became a little bit more difficult but like you said I think that he definitely had a shot uh, for for the top four and maybe even for the podium and that would have been um, very good for him despite the fact that it is at the end of the season and despite the fact that it is an exact cross it's still a televised race and I think that you know it's still um, a relatively important race so for these riders that can make the difference and I think overall he can look on a, a strong season where he lost his Swiss championship but uh, it nevertheless it's uh, from his uh, point definitely a, a very strong season probably with most notably uh it was an entertaining race and sure as you say it might have just been an exact cross like there's positives to take for a rider like Kuhn but I actually enjoyed watching that men's race and it is much needed because it's way more entertaining than a race like Brussels at this point of the season. I really like the tactical aspects that this race has had to bring to us. We'll talk about the women's race soon but that was also super interesting there. Maybe not in terms of close combat or atmosphere or just the feeling of the race, but tactically with riders having certain sections where they were better, it definitely made for an interesting race. And the same goes for Lars van der Haar. If we look at his race, 
part of what made it interesting was that Van Haar had a bad start. He only came to the front of the race in Sydney class after 30 minutes. And once he came there, he started pre putting the pressure on a little bit. But Isabit, Sveik, they were both hiding a bit. Van Haar took quite some initiative, but also took enough time for a recovery because at some point it looked plausible that Viseure and Van der Bos would be coming back to the leading group. They eventually didn't, but it definitely made for an interesting race and Sveik eventually took the win. I think it was pretty inevitable that he would take it. And then I come to the question, did Lars van der Haar use the right tactics in the final lap? He paced for almost the entire lap. I can somewhat understand why he does it, because the beginning of the lap had this steep climb, which really was the bottleneck on the course. If you weren't first there, you were maybe lucky if you could make it up in second, but if you weren't in the first two, you would need to hop off your bike or pedal a little bit with one foot clipped out. And that cost time, that was a key feature every single lap. But in the final lap, Van der Haar wanted to be first there, but then paced the entire lap. And you could just see it coming with Sveik sitting in the wheel seemingly effortless that he would take the lead before the final sand pit towards the finish. And that's what he did. He opened the gap to the sand because he is the sandman and then sprinted to victory. But do you think that was the right decision by Van der Haar or... Do you think he should have gambled on a sprint? I think for Van der Haar it wasn't a bad tactic. I think that um, I can definitely understand why he tried to put Sveik under pressure. Maybe Van der Haar was a little bit irritated by the way Van Turenhout and Isabit were riding, but overall I think that his decision there was, was not a bad one. Uh, but, you know, Sveik definitely knew what he was doing, knew the, the crucial moment to be ahead and then you know, in the sand section for him, it was uh, basically, uh, I would say, decisive. Puts Van der Haar under pressure, and then it's uh, it's case closed for uh, for for Van der Haar, and then you have to settle for second. But I think that this week, even if he would have gambled on a sprint, it would have still been a bit difficult for Van der Haar to then beat this week. And I think that looking at at the race afterwards, it would have been maybe. You can always say if he didn't really push, put too much pressure on in in the last lap and saved a little bit for a sprint and saved for that really penultimate part of it, then it would have been um, something else. But I think that overall, Van der Haar couldn't have done a lot different. I think in a normal race, he might have had a bit more of a chance in a sprint than here. If he waits here, it's still inevitable that the same scenario plays out. Sveik is going to try and be first through the sand and open a gap there. And I think it was kind of inevitable that Sveik was going to win this. I mean, his entire weekend was focused around this race. He didn't care about Brussels. I don't really know why, but maybe he just doesn't like the course, but... He clearly was here for Sydney class and he went all out for that. He got it whilst for Van der Haar, Brussels was still important as shown by his dedication in that race, which should have gotten him a second place. I think it was stronger than Van Turenhout, but also second here. It's unfortunate for him. It's kind of the story of his season, a lot of second and third places, but still a decent showing. I think Sveik also deserved the win and continuing a strong season with quite some wins so do you know how close is he to the 10 which he said at the beginning of the season at the team presentation 
I think he is not going to make that, right? I think he's going to end at like seven or eight, but still good numbers for him. Yeah, he's probably going to come a little short, but let's be honest. I think when he was saying the number 10, it was for me, um, yeah, um, I wouldn't say a, a big laugh, but it, yeah, it, it, at that moment, it was definitely something that I think was, was, was not going to be achievable. And, you know, he came a little short, but I think that this season for Sveik definitely has been a turnaround uh, in terms of his career. And he he made that step. He got a lot out of it and matured in his role as, as, a, as a rider. And I think that, um, you know, this season he, he proved himself to be a very valid uh, leader of a team. Someone that can take the points when uh, Van Aert and Van der Poel are not there. Um, somebody that can win races. And I think that we knew that he could do that, but we were just not really uh, seeing it at the higher level and when it really was necessary and for classifications. And now it, you know, it came a little bit out and it's, um, you know, pleasant thing to see, obviously. And um, despite the fact that he's not going to make those 10 uh, victories overall, I think that he, you know, definitely the victories that he got and the way he got it as well, I think that he can um, look back on the season, which was, uh, yeah, Definitely above my expectations and probably maybe even above his. In the rest of the top 10, there were still some interesting names. Let's go through the top 10. Zweek with the win ahead of Van der Haar, Isebiet, Van Turenhout, Wieseuren, Van der Bos, Kuhn, Van Kessel, Van der Putten en Ron Haar. Very good race by Joran Wieseuren. He had a rough season as world champion under 23. He got, well, going pretty well in the final part of the season. Also won the X2O Trophy Under-23 and the final round of the X2O Trophy for the Under-23 riders in Brussels. Was pretty good at Cyclocross Worlds, just missed out on the medal there, so improvement on his side. We already went over Kevin Kuhn, unlucky to have that puncture. And I will end the men's side by mentioning Pim Ronhaar. He had a pretty good race, although that 10th place doesn't really reflect that. He was dead last basically after a crash very early on in the race but managed to recover pretty nicely and then ended 10th but he did pay the price for that crash and big effort put in on the Sunday as he lost his fourth place in the X2O trophy to Jens Adams as he finished 16th in Brussels. Then the women's races. There's only one thing which we can start about and it's not a summary. We need to talk about the lights because there were two races this weekend and in both races the start lights didn't work for the women. In Sydney class they didn't work. The Commissaris came on as the music was already playing the start tune. They walked on and told the athletes we're going to be starting on the whistle. Went back, he blew and they went. In Brussels the lights didn't go out either. But this time the Commissaris did not walk onto the track and inform the riders, he just blew the whistle. Half of the grid went, the other half of the grid stood stalled. Alvarado shot into action a bit later as she followed the rest, was making some gestures with her hands, what is going on. But ultimately the race was not restarted, they were sent away. And from there on, Alvarado was in a bad position, needed to move up, cost a lot of energy, then was probably frustrated and mentally couldn't put herself over it and 
gave up on a chase for the second place in the X2O trophy, was super upset about it after the race. Her dad gave an interview during the race with the Belgian broadcaster saying that he was not happy. They went to complain at the jury. The jury didn't really seem to care according to Alvarado and that was that. What a mess is some, I mean... How can this happen at what is one of the highest levels of cyclocross racing? I mean, it should just not be able to happen. Saturday is the example of what should happen. Sunday is the prime example of what happens if you just take measures into your own hands. The unprofessional side of, 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 of the sport, I would say, because normally you there are procedures for this, and I think that on the Saturday it was handled okay. It's obviously not something that you want to have for the riders because it takes some... some it's very difficult then after such an issue to pump yourself up and, and, and get back going again. But what happened in Brussels was obviously not the way it should be done. And it's um, for a race that is of that importance, One of the it's, it's part of one of the bigger classifications that we have in cyclocross, to then have such a procedure and such an event going on and such a mistake being made i think it's in my opinion a bit unacceptable and alvarado was one of the main women that that got affected by that um, incident was <laughs> quite upset by it and i think that was um, uh, you know truthfully that is true fully understandable because you know her race was definitely ruined by it and it normally the, the commissaire should have been uh, straightforward and when he realized that mistake was made should have just called off the start and do it over again because there was a lot of visual confusion by some of the riders and some of the riders obviously just went uh but that is definitely not the way it should be done and um yeah i think it's it's a bit weird especially the reaction afterwards from the commissaire as well it reminded me of two things and they are related with each other Earlier this year, I was in Tabor, and the men's junior race there had a false start. David Thompson, who became Pan American champion junior men later, was on the front row. He was fixated on the lights, just like Alvarado. The lights didn't go. The commissars did the same there. He blew the whistle. Thompson stood still, whilst the others around him moved. But because he stayed still, they eventually restarted the race. And that reminded me of a situation with... Albert many years ago I don't exactly remember where it was but there Albert moved after what was a false start but because he moved they didn't restart the race afterwards they said Albert if you would have stayed in your position here we would have restarted the race but because he moved he was somewhere in the back of the field and it didn't matter too much because he still won but the point is there, like if Alvarado would have stayed in their position there, they would have probably restarted the race, whilst now they didn't, and it's just a mess, and this should not be allowed to happen, like, there should be a protocol for this, if the lights don't work, the commissars comes out, tells the people that they are starting on the whistle, and then they go, because in this, I'm thinking about a rider like Francesca Baroni, we know that she has trouble with hearing, she is almost completely deaf, for her, the start lights are a great starting option because she knows that when they go green, she can go. But not only does she not know that the lights aren't going to be the start signal, they're using something that she is unable to use. 
or here, I mean, like, she doesn't hear the whistle. And when they do start on the whistle, the team has people who have a flag. And now I assume that wasn't in place. So that's another reason that it's just completely unacceptable the way this happened. I mean, ultimately for Alvarado, I think for result, it didn't matter too much. Sure, it will have been a big mental blockade during the race, but I don't think the legs were there to challenge Brandt because Brandt looked fairly strong, keeping up with Van Empel for a while, ultimately needing to let Van Empel go. And that brings us to the final conclusion. One woman show by Van Empel, decent race by Brandt, but Van Empel said two weeks of no training and now I win the race. I mean, it's just telling for the level she has. It's pretty insane, although we do have to say Brandt has not been training all too much because her focus is also on the road season, just like for Van Empel. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, if if we needed any confirmation of Van Empel uh, being being the best in the women's category or in the women's category, I think that it was shown only in these last two weeks already. I mean, not really being on your bike and uh, I think this week or th- at least last week then for us because we were recording on a Monday, um, that it's for her obviously. She, I think she was training a little bit but still to be able to perform the way she did. Uh, yeah, it, it shows the, the, the level difference and like you said, I think for Brandt this season um, we have talked about it quite a few times. Uh, it hasn't been a perfect season for her and for both women it's now uh, looking into the the road season and for Van Empel not only the road but also the mountain bike campaign that uh, that is going to be interesting for her and the goal maybe of of trying at least uh, if it's any possibility of um, trying to qualify for 2024 which is definitely going to be difficult with the the, the squad the Netherlands have on the women's side yeah I don't see that happen I just don't see a way forward realistically Puk Petersen has been the better mountain bikester out of the two. And even for Petersen, it's going to be a struggle to qualify because with Anna Terpstra, they had one of the best mountain bike racers of last season. She was leading the World Cup for quite a while. I'm not exactly sure if she won it in the end or just missed out, but they have a very strong rider with her. And with Anna Tauber, they have another rider who regularly is finishing in or around the back end of the top 10. That's a big ask. I do think Puk Pietersen has what it takes to battle with Tauber, maybe not yet with Terpstra, because if we look at other riders who made the step, Monika Mietenwaller or Caroline Bohe, they managed to do pretty well last season, getting a number of top 10s. For Mietenwaller, of course, the big issue was the start. But it's going to be difficult for Van Empel because not only does she need to make a step to become better than Pietersen, which she only has been once last season, which was at an unimportant race very early in the season. She also still needs to be regularly beating Terpstra or Tauber. And I don't necessarily see that happen, but who knows? She surprised many people in the cross season maybe she will surprise me in the mountain bike season but i'm looking more towards the road because she's doing la flèche wallonne la flèche bravanson uh, volta limburg classic i do not rule out that they add amso gold race to that schedule and if then the first mountain bike races don't go 
as great as expected. I also don't rule out that they take her to some other races like Tour de France Femme or whatever. But exciting times up ahead. I'm, as you can tell, quite excited for what Van Empel and Peters are going to be doing during the cross-off season. Let's still look at the entire top 10. Van Empel took the win ahead of Brandt. Decent race by Brandt, as said, managed to keep up with Van Empel for two laps. Worst, also decent race, ending third. Alvarado went fourth after that start drama. Betsema fifth despite a rough crash. Luckily, she didn't seem too injured. Ribeiro in sixth ahead of Van Alphen. Baroni despite some issues at the start, ending eighth. Verdonschot in ninth and Manon Bakker in tenth. If we look at the racing in St. Niklaas the day before, I really enjoyed that race as I mentioned earlier. There was a nice dynamic with riders going from the front and then coming back. A nice battle every lap for the first position ahead of the steep climb. Then you had riders that were winning time on places, losing time elsewhere. Brandt was losing a lot of time before this one concrete barrier which was on the course as she wasn't able to jump whilst Worst and the others were able to jump that. Then you had the jumpers on the barriers with Van Alphen coming back into the race together with Manon Bakker as both were jumping the barriers. Betsema coming back into it after being out of it. I thought it was a really fun race with shifting dynamics and the shame it didn't go to the final lap as Worst attacked in the penultimate lap and took the win but was a fun race and for Worst, it seems a bit of a reoccurring theme now the past seasons that she does really well in the races post-Worlds and that creates a bit of optimism towards next season and I mean we can just hope that they solve the issue with her knee and that she is able to have a season next year which is similar to what Alvarado had now. Yeah absolutely I think that these races also show that the potential is definitely there and you know, you just hope that she can fix the issue that she has with the knee if it needs to, if it needs surgery or uh, something else, some other treatment. It just needs to be fixed. And then you can, you know, go into a season where there are not a lot of unknowns. You you basically know where you're at. You, you need to improve your level, obviously, and then, you know, see where, where it goes. But it's just a bit difficult when you have issues with the knee or issues with, with the back or anything related in terms of, of, of health uh, that hampers your performance. It's never great. And I think also mentally it's, it, it could be quite difficult to deal with. And that can, for a part, also explain some of the irregular results. And yeah, I think it's um, for her, these last couple of races have been very encouraging and yeah, for now it's uh, hoping that the issue can be fixed and quite easily without any uh, big, you know, uh, days off. Uh, and then from there it's uh, a question if it's then possible to get back to the level as quickly as possible. I think overall for the rest of the riders in the top 10, we've really told their stories the past couple of weeks and not really anything that stood out to me at least. The worst to Alvarado, Brandt, Betsema, Bakker, Van Alphen, Verdonschot, Kay, Baroni and Bentveld in the top 10. I think it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's good to see Baroni in there, but she's been doing that for a while now post-Worlds. Verdonschot, same goes for her, decent showing. Well, I will mention Anna Kay, nice to see her in the 
top 10 again for her it must be difficult as well because it's already quite some seasons ago that she was just 18 or 19 years old racing in this Experza kit coming at the front of the races in some of these Brico crosses back then early in the season and then being hyped as a big talent but seemingly a couple of tough seasons we of course know about the injuries sustained one in Baal this year broke her collarbone last year it's not been easy for her so I think it's good that she gets a uh, top 10 but I also realistically think that she's been surpassed by more talented riders but who knows maybe if she has a proper season next year she will be doing a bit better again. Isam, thank you for discussing the final weekend of racing with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. The season is uh, almost almost over. Still one week of racing and then it's uh, bye-bye uh, in terms of cyclocross uh, for 2022-2023. Yeah, it's almost a wrap. We have some podcasts coming up still, though. On Thursday, we are releasing a podcast with Sven Eis. Yes, the team manager of Boas Trek Lions has had time to sit down with us to talk about the season of the Boas Trek Lions. We talk about Joris Nieuwhuis, but also about Shirin van Anrooy and the current state of cyclocross. Then next week on Monday, a brand new podcast for you. We will be wrapping up the season with a talk about the Sluitingsprijs in Oostmalle, which is only visible on regional TV or on site. And in that same podcast, our main priority will be to talk about the World Cup calendar, which is being released this Friday. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That's the schedule for the upcoming week. After that, we head to the road and mountain bike season, with our first podcast about that being Strade Bianchi. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and goodbye.